chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Then over to chapter 11, starting at verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So good. So, as the story goes, the shepherds, They were out watching their flocks by night when all of a sudden an angel shows up, a messenger of God, and he's got a a very curious message. The first thing he says is, look, do not be afraid, because when an angel shows up, it tends to freak people out. He says, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. And then all of a sudden, as if out of nowhere, the sky just sort of bursts with light and song as a whole bunch of other angels show up and they sing a heavenly song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth. On earth. Peace. You heard it. The angels sang a song about it. Christmas is about peace. You know, we hear that word, peace, and then we look at the world around us, and it doesn't take us very long to figure out that the world isn't as full of peace as we'd like it to be. Is it? I mean, if we're honest about it, it starts with you and me. It starts with us and our relationships with people. Like, we look at our relationships with our family members, our friends, our neighbors, and and we notice the dissonance, we feel it, right? People, people have hurt us, we have hurt other people, we've let people down, people have let us down. We look at our neighborhoods and our cities and we see people without homes, children without proper education and food, and we see others who are, are without a job. We hear about things on the news, we read about them on the interwebs, mass shootings, murders, missing children. We look at our politicians and we're like, 
Yeah, that's the opposite of peace. They seem to just be not listening to one another and not respecting each other for real. And they just seem to be grabbing after more money and more power. All of them. We look at our world and we see nation threatening, subduing other nations, right? Bombings. We Look, North Korea, Russia, Syria, Israel, Palestine, our very own United States, and the list goes on and on. We hear that word peace, and we don't see as much of it as we would like, do we? See, we can look at the world, and we do this, and we notice that it isn't quite right. Where is the peace? We look at our own relationships, and we know that they're not quite right. And we ask ourselves, where where is the peace? We look at humanity's relationship with the whole planet, and we're like, where is the peace? It isn't quite right. We know that the world isn't right because we have some vague idea about what God intended the world to be, right? And this isn't it, right? It's weird. This idea about how God intended the world to be, it isn't quite clear in our heads, but it's there nonetheless, Are you with me? It's really weird. Like we know what the world ought to be, but it's not clear in our heads. It's almost as if it's like a dream planted in our hearts by the one who made us. We know of it. We can feel it, even if we can't see it clearly. In fact, the only way that we can really get at this reality of peace on earth is if if we get access to it through things like art and poetry and song, and metaphor. It's really the only way we can get at it, right? Through poetry and art. In fact, this morning, uh, our scripture from Isaiah, he, he gives us some of this poetry, this poetry of peace. Oh, and it is so beautiful. And here's what's happening at the time. Things were not going well for Israel. In fact, they were in trouble. They had sort of turned their backs on God. They were worshiping idols. They were not taking care. In fact, they were taking advantage of the poor and the marginalized. And they were about to be conquered, defeated by this nation called Babylon. And they were about to be taken off into captivity. So they were looking at their world just like we do today. And they were like, yeah, this isn't quite right. Where is the peace? And in, into the middle of all of that chaos, he gives them some poetry of peace. Listen to what he says. Chapter 2, verse 4, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Wouldn't that be nice? nor will they train for war anymore. How's that for a vision of peace? And then a few chapters to the right, uh, he talks about this one who will come, this shoot that will sprout from the stump of Jesse, from seemingly a dead stump, there will come a shoot. One will come, and when he comes, he will bring peace. He says this, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on 
all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's like a dream, right? Peace. Someday, Isaiah says, the world will be like that. Peace. What is peace? Peace. Shalom in Hebrew. In the Bible, God's peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It's more than just the absence of war. It's more than just a than just a positive, happy state of mind. Peace is more than just like a private transaction between God and human beings. Peace in the Bible is all of that stuff, but it's much, much bigger. It's way, way larger, more comprehensive than just those things. Peace, shalom in the Bible means wholeness and completeness throughout all all creation. It means the end of injustice. It means the rich, the wealthy will no longer devour and take advantage of those who have less than they do. It means that all brokenness will be set right and all brokenness will be healed. It means that all people will have exactly what they need to live good, productive, creative, healthy, flourishing lives that contribute to the world. Shalom, peace, it flows deep and wide. It includes all people, all plants, all animals, and finally, all of creation. Peace. It's this large, expansive idea. Timothy Keller once said this about peace. I love it. God created the world to be a fabric. For everything to be woven together and interdependent. Then he includes this picture. He says, if I just took a bunch of threads, a thousand threads, and threw them on the table, they would not be a fabric. They'd just be threads lying on top of one another in a clump. Threads become a fabric when each one has been woven over, under, through, around every other one. The more interdependent they are, the more beautiful they are, the more interwoven they are, the stronger and warmer they are. God made the world with billions and billions of entities, but he didn't make them just to be a clump of individuals. Rather, he made them to be in a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship with one another. God created the world to be a fabric, peace, Shalom. And yet, we look at the world and it doesn't seem to be a fabric. It's broken. It's got holes everywhere. It's tattered. Wolves eat lambs and human beings run around with swords and guns and bombs. So, how does peace on earth happen? How do we get peace? Well, the Bible teaches us that. Peace in this world happens when we first have peace with God. Peace in this world happens when we are first at peace with God, when we've been reconciled to God. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been a part of a sports team, like football, baseball, basketball, softball, volleyball, been part of a team? How many of you have ever been a part of like a choir or a band or orchestra or something like that? Pretty much every one of us, right? So at some point in your life, 
you were part of a group of people. And then you had to learn a particular set of skills. And then you had to practice those skills very hard. And then at some point, you found yourself performing those skills in front of someone like a coach or a director. And that coach or director would then analyze what you've done and decide whether or not you made the choir or decide whether or not you get to be on the team. And that process right there is so filled with so much anxiety and tension. And it's, ugh. I once read a story about Lovey Smith when he was the coach of the Chicago Bears. He, he would gather all of the rookies together in rookie camp. And at the start of rookie camp, he would sort of give them a speech about how they had to work hard and all that stuff. And then at the end of it, he would say to them this, make us put you on this team. Make us put you on this team. In other words, work really hard, practice hard enough, make the decision for us, take that decision out of our hands, impress us so much that we can't imagine leaving you off the roster. Make us put you on this team. Friends, it's easy for us to sort of view religion that way. And we often do it, even though we would say that we don't do it or we don't see religion this way. It's so easy for us to do this and get caught up in the game of religion. In the game of religion, we have to work really, really hard to be a great person, right? We have to make all the right decisions. We have to go to the right church. We have to read the right books. We have to listen to the right podcasts. We have to send our kids to the right school and make sure they're connected with the right children. In the game of religion, we have to make sure that we don't make any mistakes. Like, in fact, we're deathly afraid of making any sort of mistakes, especially religious mistakes, because if we make those mistakes, then our eternal destination is in question, and we don't know if we're going to end up in the place we want to end up, right? In the game of religion, we have to make sure that everybody else, the whole world, sees how good and perfect and beautiful we are. And if we do all of those things, then we have assurance we get to be on God's team. We win God over. We make the decision for him. We make our peace with God. And we would never admit that we do this, but we do this all the time. But the problem is the Bible looks at that and says, that isn't the way things work. Not, not at all. We don't make peace with God. Peace with God doesn't start with us. Peace with God starts with God. Remember those angels talking about good news? That's good news because if peace starts with us, we're going to mess the whole thing up. Peace starts with God. Look at what Isaiah says. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, right? We're like, oh good, there's a mountain we gotta climb. I'm gonna make this happen. He will teach us his ways so that we will walk in his paths. He will teach us so that we may walk in his paths. See, as it turns out, we didn't even have to climb the mountain. We didn't even have to climb the mountain. Because God came down the mountain into the valley to the place where we all are. 
Bethlehem was the town. The stable was where it happened. The manger is where they laid him. God came down and became one of us. He taught us his ways so that we would be able to walk in his paths. Read the stories about him in the Bible. The deaf, the blind, like you and me often are, he healed. Those who were lonely, he befriended. The lost, like you and me, he found. See, Jesus knew that we couldn't heal ourselves. Jesus knew that we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus knew that we couldn't make peace with God all on our own. So he came down the mountain to do it on our behalf. He willingly took the brokenness and violence of this world in his body right, to show us what that stuff really, really is so that we see it for what it is. And then somehow we now, because of Jesus, have peace with God. Peace in this world begins when we have peace with God. Right? Are you living that way? As if you have peace with God? Are there times when you're afraid with God? Because you don't have to be afraid of God. Like the angel said, the first thing, don't be afraid. You don't have to. Are you playing the game of religion? Or are you accepting the peace that God has already said we have with him? Because only when we have peace with God, only when we live into that reality, it's only then that we are actually transformed into peacemakers for the world. It's only when we live into the reality of peace that Jesus has given us with God that we are then transformed into peacemakers for the world. In the New Testament, Paul says that when we have this intimate relationship with Jesus, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We have Jesus, the Prince of Peace, living in us and through us. We are now fundamentally different, changed, transformed. We are now peacemakers for the world. We work with God towards that peace. We work at turning our, plow our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Imagine that. Imagine our tanks being transformed into farming equipment, tractors. Imagine our guns being turned into gardening tools. Imagine that. Listen, Jesus, it's possible. Jesus turned the cross at that time, the ultimate symbol of torture and violence and death and fear, he turned that ugly instrument into the ultimate symbol of self-giving love. Oh, so how do we do it? Maybe we start small. Maybe each of us starts small. We just pay attention to our own relationships. We pay attention to our own homes. Maybe we decide that brokenness and dissonance doesn't belong anymore and it just needs to disappear. We'll do things like we'll work a little less and we'll be home and pay attention a little more to our kids who desperately need and want our love and attention. Maybe we'll decide that we'll put down our gadgets for longer periods of time so that we're not so distracted from one another. Maybe we'll decide that going on a date with our spouse only once or twice a year isn't good enough and we'll try to pay more attention 
to the ones we love the most. Maybe, just maybe, we'll just, we'll just approach the person who hurt us and we'll tell them that we care about them. We'll tell them that we love them. Right? Or maybe we go bigger. Maybe we volunteer to school. Maybe we go to PTO meetings so that we can work for a better school system. Maybe, maybe we work with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the United Way, YSS, and the countless other number of organizations in town that do really amazing work. So maybe we just start small. We pay attention to our own little lives and we decide that brokenness and dissonance doesn't belong there. We'll try to repair the fabric there first. Friends, none of those things are easy. All of them are hard. I mean, just think about the political divisions that we see today. It just seems like each side just doesn't listen to the other and each side doesn't respect the other one and each side tells the other side and tells their own side that the other side is their enemies when we're not enemies, y'all. When you really think about it, we all want the same thing. We just have different ideas about how we get there. So why can't we just have good, calm, respectful, loving conversations about those differences and be okay? And if something doesn't work, isn't working, well, let's try something else. Give the other people a shot. Why do we have to be so divisive? No, the other side isn't our enemy, period. The other side isn't evil. Why, don't, why aren't we the first people who start acting a little more calmly about those things with a little more love and a little more respect for the people who might think a little bit? We should be leading the way, not the opposite, which is kind of what we're doing, right? Maybe we start there. We start repairing the fabric. None of this is easy. All of it is hard. But look, peace isn't the, also isn't the absence of struggle. There's still struggle. But peace is the presence of love. Peace is the presence of love. Let's bring love into the game. So what does peace look like in your home? What does the fabric look like? Start putting it back together. Weave it together a little strongly. What does that look like in your home? In your other relationships? What does it look like in your neighborhood? How, how are you or how will you allow the peace that comes from God work in you and flow through you to those around you? That's something worthy of thinking about. Just a few days before Christ came down and rescued us, became one of us, don't you think? Let's pray. God, thank you.